Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Tuesday, 9.47 a.m. Hi, baby. I'm Baby, you have to listen to me carefully. I'm on a plane that's been hijacked. I'm on the plane. I'm calling from the plane. I want to tell you I love you. Please tell my children that I love them very much. And I'm so sorry, babe. I hope to be able to see your face again, baby. I love you. Bye. We're five, six, eight, six, five. We have a... I believe it is a uh, Boeing 757. Can you see him up there, sir? That's concurred. Uh, it looks like he's rocking his wings. Roger. He's rocking back and forth. We're 568655. You stay away from that aircraft. Go north as fast as you can. United 93. Have you got information on that yet? Yeah, he's down. He's down? Yes. When did he land? He did not land. Oh, he's down? Yes. Yeah. It is Flight 93 that crashed in Shanksville. It's Flight 93, killing all 40 passengers and crew aboard, where you got the infamous, I don't know if it's infamous, famous, last words of Let's Roll. It's Flight 93 that saved my life as I was training people at the Hard Rock Cafe in Washington, D.C. That's where I was on September 11th. And at Flight 93 heads to D.C., I have always believed, based on what we know, that there are good odds that I'd be dead today. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY-833-468-8669. 22 years since September 11, 2001. I worked at the Hard Rock, uh, 9th and E. Yeah, 9th and E. Uh, So nine blocks to the Capitol, seven blocks to the White House. You miss one, you're aiming for the other. We're in the path, the plane goes down, the plane goes down. The Hard Rock Cafe is directly next door to Ford's Theater, where Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, and to the J. Edgar Hoover building, the FBI building. My, my um, location that day is, is only uh, interesting in story. It is not, therefore, more significant in feeling. And um, I, I, I state to you that it, it would be weird to think that people in the Midwest somehow don't have as much attachment or much connection or much uh, anguish or a series of things uh, as people who lived in New York or, or D.C. Um, I would say to you that people who may be who were uh, downtown uh, Wall Street on September 11th have a much more visceral type feeling based on a sense of smell. I can tell you that being in D.C., even though it was a three-hour ride uh, back home uh, that day, I couldn't tell you what was in the air. People in New York can tell you what was in the air, what the dust smelled like, what the burning smelled like. That's something that you and I Unless you were there, we can't can't connect with. But we can connect with this. At number two, World Trade Center, right? Maybe we're stupid in the walking. We're not ready to die, but it's getting bad. Oh, God! Oh, God! 
That doesn't take proximity. That takes humanity. Humanity is hard to find. And it is easy to dismiss. It is easy to forget certain things and say, I don't, I, I am just not interested in this. I, 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 I tell you that my, I knew that September 11th, of course, was coming on the calendar. It would be a Monday. I'd be on the air, but I, I was not in the mood. A weird thing to say. I was not in the mood. Because for years, I've always been very proactive in the remembrance conversation. Wasn't in the mood. Until I woke up this morning and said that no one cares if you're in the mood, Tony. Nobody was in the mood 22 years ago. And in order to make sure nobody's in the mood, if you will, nobody has this problem 22 years from now, you better get in the mood right now. I was training someone when they walked when a when a server walked in and said you got to see what's on TV. Crazy moment. Everybody has got theirs. Where they were, what was happening, what they were doing. And across your social media feeds will be these um will be these these stories, the, the this 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 audio. And people will not want to watch and not want to listen. And I'm here to tell you, you have to share it with your kids. After dinner, before dinner, uh, Monday night football is inconsequential. You have to share this with your kids. You have to go over it with family. You have to make note of it. Because this is defining moment stuff. Not what happens, what we do about it. Whether we remember or we don't. Societally, we have given up on the idea that things matter and they must have connection. When you live amongst a group of people who want to rationalize away everything, including decency, who are you to say? Who's to say what's right and what's wrong? Who's to say what gender you really are? In that world... The things that matter are made to be inconsequential. As 1984 explained to us, it gets memory hold. Gone. Others will decide what should and should not be said. Society is better when the dictionary gets smaller so we have less words to describe things and not more. When we make illegal the act of conversation or immoral, the lack of conversation, which is what political correctness was back in the day, which is what cancel culture is today. Wokeism is today. My gosh, every single practice of DEI is to not be allowed to question what is being told because questioning is proof of fragility. And therefore, it cannot be allowed, and you should be laughed out the room, suffering, if, or if not laughed out of the room, suffering through struggle sessions, like uh, via Chairman Mao. The society loses its ability to connect to its history. Mehdi Hassan is at MSNBC. Mehdi Hassan posted today 
Um, did you know that today is the 50th anniversary of another 9-11? Chile's 9-11? That we, America, in the form of Nixon and especially Kissinger, helped cause, talking about former President Nixon, former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. It's a story of Allende. I cannot tell you that I have some great understanding of Chilean politics, of the coup attempt, if you will, and everything else. What I can tell you is that for Mehdi Hassan at MSNBC to state, did you know that today is the 50th anniversary of another 9-11? That's somebody who's trying to erase what happened. That Mehdi Hassan doesn't understand that this is disgusting is exactly the problem with Mehdi Hassan and MSNBC. What I should have said is the progressive left that cannot focus on a thing. If we were to discuss the Holocaust, utilizing that as just an example piece, I note that 11 million people were killed during the Holocaust, but the Holocaust's purpose was to kill Jews. Five million others did get killed. Gypsies, people who were gay, people who were disabled, mentally disabled, all sorts of things. It was horror on horror, but the purpose was to kill the Jews. And anybody who tries to obfuscate from that fact, that's a problem. That's a problem. The idea that somehow we should take September 11th and say, not not just, hey, this happened in Chile X number of years ago. That would be historical, if you will. Did you know that today is the 50th anniversary of another 9-11? As in, oh, this is just a thing. My gosh, this has happened before. It's no big deal. You absolute jackass punk. That's Mehdi Hassan. There was something I guess he said over there at MSNBC the other day where a a radio host commented um, he should be deported. I'm like... I'm pretty sure that sure that dude's an American citizen. Uh, I don't I don't think that's the way it works. But what a weird thing to say. What a that's a silly dumb thing to say. That dude should be deported. You got to understand that you're not talking about people who have a different accent than you. That's not the issue. If people who had a different accent than you were somehow not connected to an American ethos and an American experience of being able to focus, people like Charles C.W. Cook would be sent back to Britain. Except Charles C.W. Cook of National Review is a mind you should absolutely be following. The issue here is not whether or not you have an accent. The issue here is the progressivism that absolutely destroys the mind, destroys the soul, destroys humanity, destroys decency. It is the common, wait for it, enemy. Because anything that destroys the mind and the soul is. ISIS destroys antiquities. They destroy statues. They destroy art. And the progressives, the minute they got the chance, 
physically ripped down statues across America. Well, Tony, they were of the Confederacy. They weren't just of the Confederacy. Abraham Lincoln statues got taken down. Statues, statues celebrating the end of slavery, the actual concepts of freedom were taken down. Why? Because progressivism wants none of it. Twenty-two years later, could I have imagined the fight was with my fellow American? Could have I imagined, could you, that the fight was indeed with communists, with Marxists? The absolute power that they wield, the control that they have over so many in so many places, all the places... That the political right gave up. Oh, we give up Hollywood. Oh, we give up academia. Oh, we give up this. Here you are. Here you are. And that is why when I am not in the mood, I remind myself that me being in the mood is completely inconsequential. What is important is I share the story. What is important is that we remember September 11, 2001. What is important as we watch President Bush head from airbase to airbase, leaving Florida as he did, arriving at the airbase, Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana, then traveling to Nebraska, then making his way back to the White House as he demanded to return. The days, the weeks, the months of cleanup in New York, sorry, the years. Just the other day, they identified the remains of two people through new DNA testing. It's 22 years later. And you only assumed that your loved one was dead, but you had no proof. Doesn't matter what I'm in the mood for. It matters what must be done. 9-11 must be discussed with your family. 9-11 must be thought of in your solitude. And then ask yourself, what's your plan? What is your plan for victory? What is victory? What is your plan for response? What is a response? Is it physical? Is it military? Is it the schools? Is it your children? Is it education? Is it a flag? Is it a sense of remembrance, a sense of pride, and a sense of acknowledgement? Is it about putting uh, uh, in, in their place those who want to forget or diminish? What is it? might be different for you than for me. It might be different for you than the person next to you. But the one thing we cannot do is allow any level of forget. We cannot allow it in ourselves. Never mind what they say. Never mind what they do. Never mind how they act. Mehdi Hassan is despicable. So is the progressive mind. What are you going to do? You start with not forgetting. 
and then you act on that. I'm Tony Katz. The U.S. Open, we're talking tennis, had a lot of, of madness to it with the fans and the drunkness and then the protesters who glued their feet to the to the bleachers. Yeah, because they're, I don't know, they're protesting oil or something. Um, I, I would have left them there. If they were screaming, I just would have just kept pouring the concrete. I mean, if you're going to glue yourself to the to the bleachers, well, then that's where you're going to stay. Not my problem. But, I mean, we might as well get some good artwork out of it. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on? But two amazing things happened. As uh, Novak Djokovic wins, as Coco Goff wins, and Djokovic... He wins, and ESPN now has to do this because the U.S. Open is sponsored by Moderna. Uh, oh, boy. Well, we'll take you to the Moderna shot of the day. And it was- Djokovic is famous for not taking the, uh, the vaccine. And now he's the, the focus of the shot of the day by Moderna. I'm sorry. That's just funny. That's that's just glorious irony. Coco Golf is different. I'm not a fan or not a fan of Coco Golf. But after she wins, she is sitting there on her uh like her seat. She turns over, she's on her knees, elbows down on the chair, her hands are clasped at her forehead. And what ESPN said is Coco Goff took a moment to soak it all in after winning her first Grand Slam title. But anybody who knows anything knows she wasn't soaking it all in. Enter Coach Tony Dungy. I hate to break this to you, Sports Center, but Coco Goff was not soaking it all in at this moment. She was praying. She has been very open about her Christian faith in the past. It seems pretty obvious what she is doing here. Yeah, she was praying. Maybe ESPN has never seen it before. Maybe ESPN just couldn't bring itself to notice that somebody might thank a uh, a, a, a source, uh, a higher power than themselves. That's that's kind of amazing that it had to be called out. That girl is praying. That woman is praying. So just say so. That woman is praying. You like her, don't like her, she's yelling on the court, what you think about it, none of that matters. You can't say it? It is super, super weird. When people get, you could see the obvious, but nope, can't report that. Let's pretend that it's just a moment in the sun. Wasn't a moment in the sun. She was thanking her Lord. The end. Uh, The Colts. What's their future? JMV has the breakdown. This is Tony Katz today.
It was the Colts 21, the Jaguars 31, and usually you start with the victor, but I was just trying to, you know, trying to make it seem good uh, for the Colts. And admittedly, there was some good for the Colts in this game. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. There was some good in the game. It's not a total disaster. It's just that the result is constantly, constantly the same. A fourth quarter collapse. The best part about the game between the Colts and the Jaguars? Jake Funk, two carries, 10 yards. He's the future of running backs, people. I don't know the dude at all. I just love the name. I I, I really, I really, really do. Uh, JMV joins us right now from 93.5107.5 The Fan. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. Uh, I may love the fact that Jake Funk made it in, but the reason we lost this game is that we have no running game. Anthony Richardson with 40 yards on the ground. Deion Jackson had 13 carries for 14 yards, two fumbles. I don't even know how he's still a Colt at this stage of the game. Your takeaway from Colts-Jaguars. Yeah, Deion Jackson was absolutely horrible, and you're right. Uh, we, we saw it. I mean, you go back to um, um, you go back to a place-kicking situation a couple of years ago uh, with a guy that played with Legos all the time. He missed a field goal uh, opportunity, and what happened to him? I mean, he got he got jettisoned. So it um, do I think it's going to happen? Uh, it could, but it probably won't. And here's why: because they don't have the numbers, and this may be a situation to where they go now and feel that they have to go out there and find some kind of veteran running back presence. But it was awful yesterday. He was terrible, as bad as any Colts running back I think we've ever seen performance-wise in one game. And then running the football, you know, we talk about all the time, Tony, you and I over the past months have talked about the supporting of the quarterback and supporting of Anthony Richardson. And that type of performance was exactly what I brought to the table and why I always had said with a healthy Jonathan Taylor, this why he is an essential piece. Because, listen, you would love to see this team win the game, right? They didn't. That's too bad. But you also, at the same time, want to see this quarterback get supported as much as possible. I think he was a leading rusher, 40 yards, something like that. And you mentioned Jake Funk, the two for 10. But collectively, the running backs on this roster rushed for an average per carry of one yard and a half. That's a joke. That's an absolute joke. You're not helping your quarterback. You're certainly not helping your team. And while it was a very entertaining game and they do lose, that is something that you absolutely have to focus in on right now. So I don't know, Tony, if it's going to be some kind of veteran that they bring in. I mean, they brought in James Robinson last week for a look. I don't know if it would be him. I don't know if they'd go back and investigate Kareem Hunt. No pun intended, by the way. I don't know what they're going to end up doing, but it seems like they have to do something because that's how bad Deion Jackson was. He was dramatically bad, and he was cuttable bad yesterday. And, so and I, that think that's, I think that's the key, man. He, he made the case for why he shouldn't be on, on the team. Yeah. One fumble is just, oh, I can't believe it. Two, 
two is a thing. And you call it the yips, you call it a bad game, whatever whatever you will. When there is no running game and everybody needs to establish themselves as somebody who can step up, at least until Zach Moss gets into this this lineup. And, and may I say, I don't think there are enough eyeballs on, well, wait, what can Zach Moss actually do? The guy we took for Naeem Hines when we traded Naeem to the Buffalo Bills, is Zach Moss somebody you can build a running offense around? Well, you'd like to think he was better than anything that we saw yesterday, but I, I can't definitively tell you that it, it's going to work out great. I just I go by with, with, with you know, for example, with Jonathan Taylor when he's healthy by what he has done in the past. I mean, Zach Moss certainly has been serviceable, but, um, yeah, as far as bringing to this running game what is necessary, yeah, I, I don't know you can count on that. A couple of things, too. Deion Jackson also had a really bad third down drop pass play-wise. And, Tony, this team had a month. I mean, it's not like this is altogether new at running back here. They had a month to try to figure something out, and they probably knew that it was going to be touch and go whether or not Moss was going to be healthy enough coming back from that broken arm to give them anything in week number one. But you had a month to prepare, and that's what you're prepared for when it actually happens. And, by the way, Evan Hull went down. So, you know, we'll see. He left off the field, didn't return. So we'll see where he's going to be next week when they're on the road in Houston. But I would have to think something in the next two days would absolutely be done at that position. You know, maybe it's you know, the Deion Jackson thing. I, I doubt it just because of the numbers. But certainly the investigation of a veteran running back, I don't think would be at all out of the question, Tony. Talking to JMV from 93.5-1075, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. You want to talk about uh, running backs or people who have issues with running backs. Uh, J.K. Dobbins of the Baltimore Ravens is out for the season, tearing his Achilles. I got to wonder, has there been a phone call from Baltimore to Indianapolis saying, ha, isn't this weird? How's Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, when you look at Miami, it's not like Miami uh, missed, you know, the presence of Jonathan Taylor yesterday in their game. But, no, this is the type of thing that we were looking for, and ultimately and unfortunately you end up getting via injuries is that one team. And I think Baltimore can be, once they get their stuff straight, I think they can be an AFC contender. At the top of the AFC, they may very well be a team to investigate. Jonathan Taylor. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, you got three more weeks before the PUP runs out. I know you probably saw, you know, that report yesterday, and and obviously that was a leak from his agent suggesting what we have talked about. I mean, I've talked about for a month that this is basically a hold in if he got what he wanted and out of this monetarily or whatever, uh, he could suit up and play tomorrow. He could pass the physical tomorrow. So that's that's not the issue. Uh, this is just some financial, contractual hardball that they're playing with what leverage they believe they have. And yeah, it's going to be funny to see how this moves forward here. But um, in need, this desperate need at running back for the Colts, not just bodies right now, but also somebody that can give you a little bit of production, even if Zach Moss is good to go in week number two, Tony. Right. Anthony Richardson, 24 for 37, mm-hmm. 223 yards. Um the the I, I do want to get your take on how you think he played, but you know yeah. I heard people discussing you know the fan reaction. Oh sure, we fail in the fourth quarter again. The defense ran out of gas. With all due respect, I don't think the defense ran out of gas. I think Anthony Richardson did. 
I don't think this was a bad outing for game number one of your career. But I think the game itself, the getting really hit in a game situation was a little bit of an, oh, this is how quickly this game moves. And never mind, I couldn't move that fast. Even for a guy of his skill, that's what I think maybe took the gas out of the tank. And that won't, I don't think that'll be the future of him, but that's what I think happened. Am I right or am I wrong? Well, no, Tony, you're absolutely right. There are a couple of different plays that I, I think really describe what you're trying to say right here. And that's, that's Josh Allen. You know, the, uh, the, the rusher who I think had three sacks yesterday just had a, a phenomenal game uh, for Jacksonville. You know, catching Anthony Richardson in a situation running to the sideline, where I'm sure Anthony Richardson in his lifetime has never been caught, had to be eye-opening. And after the game, Trevor Lawrence, it was reported that he walked up to Richardson and talked with him about not taking that type of a beating. You know, you know, again, this is not like it's college. This is the NFL and being careful with his body. So, yeah, I think he did. I think he did made a bad decision, certainly, you know, as far as that interception was concerned. I thought all in all, Shane Steich could try to protect him. I mean, everything was short. Um, everything was um, uh, pretty deliberate in terms of the passing game. They didn't take any shots. They talked about how the defense was playing in the zone, so. You know, maybe that shot wasn't there. They couldn't run the football, so obviously there are going to be no safeties coming up in the box worried about that. So maybe a little bit surprised they didn't at least one time go down the field with a deep shot. But it's just kind of designed, I think, to establish some confidence in a youthful, inexperienced quarterback. And, you know, for the most part, until the end of the game, until that fourth quarter, I thought they established just that, Tony. You look at um, Anthony Richards uh, Richardson's play, and you say to yourself – Okay, first game out, not much college experience. That's way better than Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz. Um, there's something here to build on. You feel good, or you're still the the jury's still out. Well, I said all along, and I, I'm sick and tired. And this is from the Pacer season too. I was sick and tired of talking, hearing about um, an entertaining loss. Um, I'm sick and tired of hearing that, but that is a term that's constantly being thrown around. And I will say this: I thought the crowd Tony yesterday was fantastic. And I thought they were fantastic because, A, it was a new season, no doubt. There was a freshness buzz in the building. But, B, it was because of the way that the quarterback, up until the fourth quarter, up, up the way the quarterback was playing. And really, you know, beyond Anthony Richardson, give the defense a lot of credit. I thought they had the edge, as we talked about last week, along the defensive line. And I think they certainly showed that until they ran out of gas in the fourth. But I, the secondary, I thought, did some things that I didn't believe they were capable in doing. I thought that they, they brought some, some physicality back there. Didn't look as bad as I thought. I thought E.J. Speed, Zaire Franklin had a really good game. Uh, I thought Shaquille Leonard coming back was pretty good himself, too. So defensively, there's a lot to build on right there. Um, uh, overall, I thought it was just you know, one of those types of losses people talk about all the time. It was very entertaining. They were in it until basically the end. But then again, it's a loss, and that bums everybody up. But I thought the crowd was great, and I thought the crowd was entertained. It certainly 
you know, most, much of that spark came from just the newness and the freshness, the mystery that is that quarterback and Anthony but, Richardson. And well, I think everybody liked it pretty much. But a loss is a loss, talking to JMV, yeah. the voice of sports in Indiana. How much of this is on Shane Steichen? The fourth quarter play calling, going for the touchdown with Gardner Minshew in there, who I have, I'm not opposed to, but instead of going for the field goal where you could have at least tried for the onside kick, there was opportunity on opportunity to play that better, and they didn't. Um, your thoughts on Shane Steich and his uh, first head coaching moments? No, buddy, I, I, I agree with you that you can certainly look at that and, and wonder if he would have done that a different way, but I can also present this to you. And this is what I was thinking as I was watching that transpire, that maybe you're thinking, you punch that in, you get down there so close, you punch that in. And, and this, again, I don't know if this was the thinking or not. This was just my thought as I was watching it that you, you, maybe you think you can punch that in and there's going to be a more of an opportunity if you get an onside kick to roll Matt Gay out there from 50-plus at the end of the game than it would be you know, throwing a, a Hail Mary down the field. And it's, I'm not trying to make an excuse for Steichen because you know, obviously the numbers, and there probably was some sheet he was looking at, some analytics, because all these guys look at that, some analytics that were, was telling him exactly what to do in that situation while everybody else, you know, like you, like I had that gut feeling of, hey, maybe go ahead and take the points right now and at least live to play another down is what you're talking about. And that, I think that's, that's overall the thought there. But at the same time, I can see where maybe if you're thinking you could punch that in and give that a try, you might make it on the back end if you give yourself an opportunity with an onside kick um, a little bit more doable. But uh, certainly I understand taking the points in that situation, most people would have done. I will say this, going back to Anthony Richardson, and it was pointed out by one of my kids. Anthony Richardson had a better outing than Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. Yeah. When you take a look at yards and, 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 and the total package. Not, not a bad day. If I'm the Colts, if you're that organization, if you're Ursay, you got to be saying, all right, there's something here. But I have to get these people a, a running back. In the end, it, it's not even about what I, you and I may be disagreeing about a call or two or, or three. Yeah. It's that without a, a running part of the game, there is no game that's possible to win. No, you know, Tony, and this is about – you bring up a great point. This is about the, the evolution of this kid too, right? I mean, you want to see him take step by step. I mean, now they've got film out there. So I'm assuming that here in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see defenses say, all right, well, this is how Shane Steichen is going to call it for this inexperienced quarterback. Well, we're going to sit on this and make it even tougher. I mean, clearly from yesterday, they were trying to protect from him getting outside and being able to make some things happen with his legs. But now, now you have to evolve. And the problem for the Colts is, Tony, they cannot evolve the way they look right now at running back with that running game. That is going to be even more detrimental moving forward here in the month of September than it was yesterday. And that's why it's so important to be addressed. And we'll see if Chris Bauer and the company decide to do anything with it. But now, now tape's going to catch up with you. And these defensive coordinators and these staffs are going to catch up with you a little bit. Um, and, and you've got to come certainly more correct production-wise with a running attack than what that was as a joke of one yesterday so now we'll see what chris ballard and company do to move to that as we move along in this week does this mean more jake funk you know i, I don't think he's going anywhere i mean I, I don't know if that's the answer you want 
But I mean, oh, kind of oh, like I guarantee you, compliment. I guarantee so. you, he's going nowhere. That means he's <laughs> he's not leaving the Colts, but he's not necessarily getting off the practice squad uh, either. JMV ninety three five one zero seven five, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. I appreciate you being with us. There's more coming up. I'm Tony Katz. MSNBC doubling down. Oh no no not 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 on their on their on their politics. No 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 not 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 on Rachel Maddow. No no no. They're doubling down on Jen Saki. <laughs> True story. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Jen Saki is being given more presence on MSNBC. She's going to start doing Mondays at 8 p.m. as well. Just Mondays. And they, they they did this with Rachel Maddow. She's just on Mondays, and then it's, I think it's Alex Wagner for the rest of the week. Now the Chris Hayes show uh, there, uh, I think he does, I think it's called All In. I believe it's what it's called. Um, he's not going to do Monday, and there's going to be uh, a bunch of left-leaning hosts. I, I guess, well, they're all left-leaning, but I think that's already been going on. Jen Psaki is the future? Jen Psaki has, oh, it's been shameful, shameful television. Unserious. She's not serious. You know, it's, look, I'm on the political right. I don't shy away from that. I don't shy away from it at all. But she, there's no honesty in Jen Psaki. There is only agenda in Jen Psaki. This isn't news. By any stretch, this isn't news. And if you say to me, you tell me there's news about, uh, from uh, Hannity, Hannity will tell somebody they're wrong. (laughs) I mean, just honesty right there. Good Lord. Betting it all on Jen Psaki is saying something. And what it's saying is, is that there's no hope for MSNBC. None. And I think CNN is going to be watching that and saying, oh, we got to lean left. That's my take. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today.